Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain market report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer, Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's market report. Welcome to the market report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report for week commencing 18th of May 2020. I'm going to start this week with a get well soon for one of our avid listeners. Uh, Han, hope you're okay and look forward to seeing you back as soon as possible. And in answer to your question, no, Webby has not got his wings yet. Right, moving on to the excitement of the UK grain trade. Old crop we're going to talk about first. Oilseed rape, we've traded some this week at 303x farm, which is £3 better than the 300 I've been talking about for the last month and a bit, but um, not particularly exciting. I haven't got much to say about that. I don't see that market moving. If there is stuff to be tidied up, then get on with it. Feed barley, we've been calling that 120x, that's its kind of value. Uh, I understand there's a boat or two about at the moment and you might make a pound or two more than that. If that's the case and it needs to be cleared out of the way, take it. The new crop price for barley is a lot lower. So if you uh, are thinking, oh, there's a carry in the market on barley, you're wrong. So ditch it if you have it left. Feed wheat old crop, not much trade occurring. Logistics is king. Uh, There's a big May book being sorted out and moved. Some companies will be pushing their contracts into June as they normally do. But largely, there should be enough consumption to absorb most people's books. We certainly had a big May book and it looks like it's all going to move, especially with these, uh, these recent cargoes that have traded. Prospects on that are pretty boring in the immediate future. If you think we're going to run out, you're on the basis of what you've got in your shed and what your mates are saying, not down the pub, but on uh, on whatever social media you talk to them on, hold on, stick with it till July and make a decision then. If you think there's more than enough or you've got plenty in your shed you haven't sold yet, don't know exactly what you're waiting for. It's been trading you know, below and around 150 for a while. I would say June X farm at this moment is 148X, but depending on when someone comes in desperate to fill a boat or whatever, you can perhaps make 150 depending on the moment. So that's kind of the level I think it's going to trade at. But a token value at this moment, June 148X farm, this is obviously East Anglia, July 150X farm. And if you prepare to hold it into the first half of August, early August trade into consumption, buyers call you probably achieve something like 152x but it does get a little bit messy if harvest is early or if you're in the middle of harvest at that point so it's kind of one of those things you haven't got a lot to lose is is the big strength you have but it is a pain in the butt if it's in the way when you're trying to tip some stuff on top of it and the risk of having old and new mixed increases your chances of bugs and the shed just you know you really do need to give the shed a good clean if you possibly can how much is that worth in terms of pounds per ton knowing that it was fully cleansed ready for the next harvest uh, deliveries moving on to new crop let's start with um, feed wheat on new crop second half august buyers call so if you have to move wheat at harvest time but you haven't got to move it the very second you cut it and you can hang on till kind of the last couple of days of the month or sometime in that last week you'd probably make 153x uh, maybe 54 
And I would say if you are looking at immediate harvest movement into a store where someone's providing you a place to tip it straight from the combine, you'd probably make 155 delivered for that. I mean, the futures this morning have traded up at 165 so there's a bit of excitement i think the drought talk is back on the table that is quite a debate i mean there's issues with a big drop in demand through covid as we've discussed that doesn't seem to be absolutely clear there's lots of gossip and rumors about you know a million tons less wheat used for chickens and what are other other animals what does it mean no one really has got a very clear picture on that because we don't know how quickly the world's going to start turning again in terms of consumption through restaurants and bars and pubs and so on so At the moment, all of the bad news is on production. We know there's been a difficult autumn. We know there is a bit of a drought. A lot of people are saying their crops look in a very poor state. So, yep, the sentiment of that is what's holding everybody back from really trading. So there isn't much trade going on. No sellers. A few people nervous on the buy side. So the market is just trying to go up again. So taking that as uh, a November X farm, at this precise second with the futures 165, someone will probably pay you 160X, you know, if you really push the button. Point is, none of you are pushing the button. Moving on to feed barley, I really gave that a kicking last week in my podcast, which I think um, provoked a few people to uh, be emotional, which is good. That's what I'm here for. So I would say if you could combine feed barley and give yourself 7 to 14 days grace before it has to move you will probably make 115x because there's boats that have traded. So UK barley will leave the country, you know, around harvest time and you will get up to 115x, which is great. If you're looking at cutting it and moving it that very same day, the best we would do at this point into one of our stores is 112 delivered. And it doesn't stack up for me particularly to do that. I'm hoping there's going to be a wonderful moment where all the lights come on and I can find something magical to do with your feed barley. Maybe it's a magical cure for COVID-19 and uh, just grind it up and take it with water. That would be good. But right now that isn't happening. So I don't, I don't see the point in tying money up storing it for what end so uh, pretty unexciting the trade is not really occurring farmers are not engaging very much there's a few trades and old crop wheat happening people are beginning to bite the bullet and get rid of it they're, they know what they've got left so they're selling it 150 is a good price that's i think sensible stuff people getting their sheds clear ready for harvest harvest is zooming towards us the sun is going to shine for the next 10 days you know barley's well in here so mid july we're going to be going at it so that isn't very far away is it let's face it so um with that in mind I hope it rains for you like it did in Norfolk in between Norwich and the coast in the last couple of days. I hope everybody gets a bit of that. If not, keep cheerful and um, keep trading with doing grain. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Get your website working for you with East Coast Design Studio. Want to know how to increase traffic to your website? East Coast Design Studio are offering a free full site assessment and SEO appraisal to help you improve the performance of your business. Each website report comes with a clear, actionable and prioritised list of recommendations that you can implement in order to reach more customers. Want to get more visitors to your website? Go to eastcoastdesignstudio.co.uk and click on the ribbon on the homepage. Oh, and did we mention it's free? And now it's time for Farm Chat. This morning I've got with me uh, Joe and Ben. So morning, men. Morning. Joe, can you hear me over there? Yes. (laughs) 
Social distancing at its best. Okay, so what we're going to talk about today is the biggest issue for farmers in the next 20 years or 30 years or however long we we suffer this. The agricultural bill that was voted on yesterday where the... Brexit Conservative uh, government decided to shaft UK farmers. Is that a fair comment? Seems like it. Yep. You can import stuff that is not of the same spec, doesn't have the same animal welfare standards, can be chlorinated in a much higher concentrate. You know, you name it, they can produce it cheaper. Up yours, Delors. It's uh, remarkable, isn't it, uh, how quickly. I, I suppose maybe question marks on how obviously they voted on it. Maybe there might be, you know people are sitting at their desk and not there in the flesh or whatever but ultimately it went through and it's an issue it it was it was a 51 majority vote it's a conservative majority government everyone's got to remember somewhere down the line you know when they when they try and muddy the waters and say oh well it was not you know this is like the nhs underfunding let's not pretend the last 15 years hasn't been you know let's, let's not pretend it hasn't happened this is a moment when the government Majority Conservatives voted to allow the UK farmer to be undermined, insisting on certain rules for their production and allowing cheaper imports to come in from South America, from America, from anywhere that is cheap under the guise of, oh, are you up to our standards? Oh, yes, of course we are, senor. And then you go and check and you find out afterwards it isn't. So this is a terrible moment for UK farming. Yeah, I mean, I think a couple of things here, Andrew. One... We've been talking about this for months on the podcast, on Doing Great, and highlighting that the issue is coming. And you hate to be proved right, but we've been proved right. All the time. All the (laughs) time. Andrew Dewing is right all the time. Okay, right, let's move, edit that out. No, keep that. Um, The other thing is, and you highlighted it, the majority was big. I mean... That wasn't a narrow win. That was a big majority Mm. voting for the lower... Now... The MP that brought it, who I think is an MP in Devon, he brought the amendment to the House. Mm-hmm. So he's now going to the Lords, which is great. You know, we have to see what the Lords do. But at the end of the day, I think the Lords can only vote against it three times and then the government can then force it through. So I don't think we can hold our breath. That no, no, it's a done deal. It's a, it's a big majority government who are going to put the whips out if anyone threatens it. It really is undermining. So, OK, how is it going to impact? What are the things that... You know, let's talk about chlorination. Because when someone argues about chlorinated chicken, they go, oh, well, we already have chlorination in this country. Yeah. It's yeah. a selected little fact. Okay, but the issue is not that per se, if you consider the the American chlorination of chicken is over three times concentration than what we use here. Mm. So in other words, it's a different level of chlorination. It's a much greater level of chlorination mixture. That is a big issue. But if someone says, oh, well, we, do, we use uh, you know, stuff on salads, it's not a fair argument because they're ignoring the concentration of the chlorine. There's just one minutei. What other things are there? Density of stocking? Yeah. And how the how the, all the animals are kept, fed, their welfare. Yeah, cleaning, light programmes in Brazil. Brazilian chicken will come into the UK. Will it have a big Brazilian flag on it? Uh, it's not like buying, you know, Adidas sports gear, is it? it? Which looks good with a Brazilian flag on it. You see a Brazilian flag on your chicken, you're going to think, oh. But it won't have a Brazilian flag on it, will it? Because the supermarket don't want you to know that this incredibly cheap product they've bought that they're selling at five percent under the uk price is making them a much bigger margin so maybe there's a backdoor way where we can get fair labeling so these poor buggers who've got to meet these higher specs and standards are going to turn around and get people realizing there should be a premium for their product ultimately it goes back to you know the consumer and understanding and 
and probably just that commitment from... The, the consumer is in the hands of the government and the supermarket. The supermarket is there to make as much money as possible. We're in their hands. They've made the most money out of the COVID-19 yeah. process. They're going to buy cheap chicken and they're going to sell it at a price that gives them the most margin. And they will have a, an aisle with a load of British flags in it and people will think, oh, I'm buying British. And they'll get to a bit and they go, oh, this bit's a bit cheaper and they won't look at it because they'll think British. They've been, you know, they'll see the flag. If you really study it and diddy little writing, it will say product of Brazil processed in this country and yeah, yeah it, <laughs> no, no, it, it that's how they'll that's the sort of thing that, that you know so, so readily happens it's produced in a different country and it's processed in this country and then it's again the labeling of of a uk production or, or an assumption that, very clear labeling very big american flag very big brazilian flag that that is fair because at least it's very clear where it's coming from then and and then the argument can be about welfare and can be well you know it, brazilian chicken can have the lights left on for 24 hours on the trot and then eight hours off that keeps the chicken growing keeps the mm. chicken at it it means less production time is that fair? Is that very nice to little chickens? No, it's not. But be cynical about this. Because we've got a society that's so devolved from the actual where things come from, understanding of what, how something is grown and, and that yeah, they're connection. Stu- they're stupid. Let's, let's be blunt. They're stupid. So they need it spelled out to them. And they, because by, they, the only way it can be spelled out is by the government. But they don't have that. And therefore, their care, their desire to have something from the UK with higher standards won't matter to them. And no. they'll just see it as chicken. And that's where I think we will lose, you know. OK, so, so should the UK, therefore, if there is a market for someone who's numbed out on the spec, they don't really care. The end user doesn't care. They're the people who want to buy I don't care chicken. Should we allow I don't care producers to produce I don't care chicken cheap? Because they could. They could just hull another 20, 30% chickens into the sheds. All right, a few more of them will die, but you're saving yourself bucket loads of money in terms of shed cost and all of the lighting and all of the stuff that you do is the ratio of work to chicken is negligible you end up with much cheaper chicken so i don't care chicken from east anglia is going to cost you a pound whereas i do care chicken cost you two pounds and yet there'll be loads of people buying the one pound chicken but at least if you're going to say chicken production is going or chickens can be eaten in this country it is a level playing field in terms of the person producing it yeah that's a key point there can the playing field be leveled for the uk producer and not to bang on about history but we spoke about it earlier the corn laws yeah so let's go into the corn laws so originally the corn laws were seen as protecting wealthy landowners by keeping cereal prices high and not allowing cheap imports to come in so this is you know 1815 to 1845 so the repeal of the corn laws was seen as free trade keeping prices down. So, do we have MPs sitting in the House of Commons thinking, oh, we can have another corn law revolution here where we don't have to worry about protecting landowners and we can allow cheap goods in? But actually, the argument, Andrew, and you've made this, is it's not just about the corn, the wheat, the barley. It's about the actual meat and the product that's being produced from that. We have set in train standards to give animals greater welfare and now we are brushing those under the carpet and we are saying you know okay look there's one rule here one rule there it doesn't work it's not that's not going to work what was the impact of the corn rules in terms of for america for the places we were taking the corn from and in terms of in this country what was the immediate well the, the immediate impact was 
prices of bread and staples in the UK dropped quite dramatically. Mm. Because all of a sudden, you didn't have tariffs and trade quotas blocking these cheap imports. So the UK landlord back in the day, who was getting very good prices for his wheat, barley, oats, everything else, all of a sudden he got international competition and the prices came down and it benefited lots of people, no doubt about it. But that was a very basic commodity. Mm. We're now looking at highly integrated food feed chains and, as you say, the difference here is that we have dictated these standards to producers and now we're going to open a back door which means those standards don't count and what happened to land prices what happened to farming in the uk well land prices and farming actually though they came down so land prices came down yeah farmers there was a radical change yeah and on the back of it the industrial revolution occurred because people had to leave the countryside (coughs) to go so you could say we'll have a new industrial revolution because a whole load of people are going to come off the land no not this time No, no, no. There won't be an industrial revolution, will it? Because people may come off the land, but where are they going to go? We don't have those industries for people to go into. You know, we're supposed to be going to a new tech world. Well, Gove has allegedly said that it creates innovation. If you create a situation, the corners that what happened was the industrial revolution, which is a phenomenal response to adversity. Okay, so we have adversity in the countryside. Much, much less people actually affected by that. Where do they go? What do they do? What happens to land? I mean, it's important to us, is it not? You know, if, if lots of people buy because it it's cheap and they put just parks on it, then in the end, the UK doesn't become a net importer. And you end up with a COVID-19 where boats aren't moving between ports. We don't produce enough food. Mm. This country is going to have nine and a half million tonnes of wheat this year, which is not enough wheat. So we're going to have to import it. That's not a problem right now because ports are still working. But there was a little period at the start of this where the Chinese exports of some of their stuff pushed around the world stopped. Yeah. This is the implication. This is the much more far-reaching moment where if you don't have basic food security Mm. and you rely on South America and whatever tin pot government's there at that point, bearing in mind the current Brazilian president doesn't believe in COVID-19 and has selfies with people, at some point... And let's burn down a few rainforests. Let's not ignore that implication for the chickens. Yeah. Well, also, <clears throat> let's look at another huge grain exporting cheap nation, Russia, mm. led by Putin, who is not of sound mind and could quite easily pull up the drawbridge whenever he wants. So food security, through this new agricultural policy will come under threat. Probably five years on from now and they'll change government and they can deny all knowledge because they only think five years at a time. This is, again, back down to long-term strategy. And this moment, this agricultural bill moment, is just hideous for agriculture, our industry. Yeah. What implications is it for a grain merchant? Who cares, right? But is there going to be even less grain merchants? Will we end up with a monopoly or duopoly? It's not that far away, is it? No, no, quite, so, quite possible. Yeah, you know, it, it might sound a bit, a bit dramatic. Duopoly might be a bit uh, antagonistic as usual, but the reality is agriculture is in a very shrinking mode at the moment, isn't it? It is, yeah. And you take away value of land, and very soon a percentage of farmers will be in trouble. Because mm-hmm. some of them are reasonably highly geared. Lots of them are not. Lots of them are very well, you know, sorted and, and they're very conservative in the way they preserve their uh, asset. But if you take away lots of that value and you take away the value of the subsidy that they're receiving and make it quite hard for them to achieve a similar level of subsidy, yeah. And at the same time, you undermine the price of the product because a 
animals are cheaper therefore they can't afford to pay the same for feed they can't compete there'll be less of them therefore there'll be less demand for the feed therefore the price of feed goes down and you can't export it to your best market anyway there's a whole host of things all coming at once to hit a sector and that has to be a point at which people will cease to be yeah i mean because at the end of the day farmers are businessmen and if something's making a loss you don't keep doing it no and merchants the same yeah and tractor manufacturers or, or suppliers and all of the other ancillary trades there will be by definition less money going round in the agricultural sector i know farmers believe they generate all of it but the reality is if there isn't the reward for farming the land exists and it will be just a park or it will be some rich person's racetrack or something it doesn't really matter because we're importing cheap chicken from where there used to be a rainforest yeah and of course i mean if you want to go further ahead the danger then becomes as you say we get dictators in charge of huge chunks of our food chain, and all of a sudden, if they decide to pull up the drawbridge and do something else, our food security has absolutely had it. Mm. We, we will be at the mercy of Bolsonaro, Putin, whoever else. Given is the opportunity, at a certain point in time, they can say, they're desperate, we've got the card, Yeah, I'm going to hold it. Sorry boys and also let's be honest that could still happen in the states i know trump's got re-election in november but you know we know that donald trump loves america his first call is america if he ever thinks that american interests are under threat he's not going to export to the uk no matter how special the relationship yeah indeed i'm temptation to do a donald trump impression we were just talking off mic about donald trump and his pork Joe, you were saying something about that. Yeah, so my understanding is that the Chinese are actually able to export their pork at the moment and a number to of, America. To America. And a number of the abattoirs are owned by the Chinese. Not okay. surprisingly, because the Chinese are very good at coming under the radar and buying everything and then mm. basically uh haven't bought us yet, have they? We're still English. Yeah. <laughs> paying our taxes here. Carry on. The classic sort of watch the hand, the left hand, while the right hand does the other stuff. So he's giving it the big one on, on how he doesn't want to talk to China. He feels completely let down by their inability to contain their virus, etc. And how the trade deal could be, they could just walk away from it and all the other sort of uh, threats that he comes out with. But at the same time, he's got Chinese pork coming in to abattoirs that are owned by the Chinese. And then that's going into the market. And, and, and the, bearing in mind that the China is the place where the swine flu exists, this is the place where the, the, the threat to the, the American pork industry is enormous in that context. Yeah. So I think the general feel is that there is a great deal of lack of trust with the, you know, we're going to go into potential trade deal. You're talking about Boris and, and Boris, a special exactly. relationship. Yeah. So, I, mean, I mean, this is something Ben was saying, the, the dynamic of our favourite subject, Brexit, you know, the determination to make something look wonderful appear has got to be an American trade deal, is it not? That would be the ultimate, wouldn't it? And having yeah. walked away from Europe. But actually, just quickly going back onto Joe's point about the abattoirs. So... Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, Trump brought in a new law that meant that abattoirs in the states have to function. It's a, it's a federal law. They have to keep running. Now, we've just seen a headline telling us that 14,000 abattoir workers in the states have coronavirus. Hmm? 14,000. Mm. And that 10 million pigs in the US will have to be slaughtered because they can't get them through the food chain. So these are pigs that aren't going to get anywhere near the food chain. They're just going to get slaughtered. There's some horrific Twitter pictures of young pigs several feet high that have been gassed. Right, yeah. 
It's not nice. So again, it comes down to food security, isn't it? I mean, I mean, I can't imagine fourteen thousand abattoir workers in the UK having coronavirus, but in the states, you know, this is what Trump's up to. Well, American agriculture has very concentrated areas where they do. You know, so there's one area yeah. in California has all the almonds. So you have your pig producing area, which has phenomenal pollution issues. As there's several, there's a, a book called Farmageddon, which highlights some of this. So they're very concentrated areas. So it's not a major surprise, bearing in mind that they're possibly the same people who are protesting on the streets to get back to work. Probably, yes, that's you know. slightly ironic. <clears throat> but but again, it, it's the food security issue, isn't it? And mm. I think that is going to be a key point. It's all well and good, go saying, well, hang on a minute. Don't worry about it because farmers are going to get extra payments for protecting their land, making it more bee and bird friendly. That's great. But actually, we as a country need food security. Yeah, let's care about the bees and let the Ukraine use neonics, which is already happening despite being within Europe and nothing to do. So left hand and right hand not doing completely different things is nothing new. But it does boil down to we must have fair labelling. In the end, it's got to be very obvious on that little plastic Tesco Sainsbury's Lidl's packet that says this is Brazilian chicken or this is Brazilian beef. So you consciously chopping down a rainforest, you are consciously eating soya and corn that is GM on the rainforest land. All of those things are taken and there's no minimum wage and there's all of the other issues that go with real poverty in South America. As long as everybody is picking up one of those packets and the girl on the till can start bipping it through and give you a wise old how could you look and you can take that on the chin yet by all means buy it without any conscience but let's be really in the end fair to people who are trying to do it who have been forced to do it or want to do it correctly genuinely caring for the environment genuinely planting trees hedges having as jake finds put when he came on our show you know places that are non-productive producing wild flowers and a biodiversity let's get reward for that and let's get a social conscience, you know. A few months ago, we would never have thought of greeting people without a handshake. Now it's the last thing on your mind. The next thing, we would never have thought we would be wandering around wearing a mask. I mean, some of you boys are a bit ugly, so it's probably going to help. But wearing a mask in public, is everyone's going to do it. How bizarre is that? Yeah, I think we, we've got a, a, a catalyst of... So many things that will have an opportunity to change. Yeah, but but, but my point point is the conscious decision to wear a mask would have been laughed at, right? I mean, sorry, Andrew, luckily, because obviously people who are clean-shaven, you know, and obviously you've managed to clean-shave at the top of your head, so that's good. Yeah, that keeps bugs at bay. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a well-known fact that bugs don't go in ginger hair (laughs) because of the smell. (laughs) But so we're both good. Yeah. Quick. But... (laughs) But you wear a mask in a public place, nobody sniggers at you, Mm -hmm. right? You buy Brazilian chicken, and people do snigger at you. It's like the jokes about Skodas when they first came. They're fantastic cast. Joe's got one of those. No, 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 I have. Sorry, Ben's got one of those. No. But no, they. But the reality is, they're exactly the same cars as VW was. They're mm. fantastic. Everyone knows they're fantastic cars. But the, but the stigma that there needs to be if, to give our boys a hope, a, at least conscious decision. And and you can look and go, oh, is that uh, Brazilian? Uh-huh. I think here's that's the important point. I think you can't be against free trade, right? We're not against free trade. Free trade is what keeps money flowing, keeps everything going. That's fine. 
But if you're going to have free trade, you need to understand. Yeah, you need to have clear labelling to say you are consciously buying a very, very different product to the one that's produced in the UK. Yep. And you get the packet out, and yep. people see it, and they go, "Oh, that's not." Yeah. Good. You want to slaughter rainforests? Yeah. You want to? Yeah. It, that, that's that, fine. That would be. Yeah. Have the bill. Let's open the door for all of this extremely chlorinated stuff or whatever. Yep. Let's have a food deal. Let's kick Europe in touch. Let's prove that all along it was the best deal possible by having cheap food. Mm-hmm. Look at what we've done for you. But the underlying impact of that will be no different to the Corn Laws in the long run for UK agriculture. It is a terrible moment. Yeah. That's not a very happy thought. I think it's time to drink a beer, don't you? Or should, oh. Have we got any more points to make that's going to make us more, more grumpy? No, I think I just want to make... Uh, it'd be quite nice to see Webby in a mask, I must admit. <laughs> Just actually, just one other thought. Does this play into the bigger companies' hands? Yes. Because they've got offices in all the other countries? All these countries that are operating where the Mm. cheaper food is. So in theory, yeah, it's far easier for them to manage those supply chains, isn't it? Mm. I think we should have a beer while we think about that. Yeah. Joe, what are we drinking? So we are drinking Wally's Revenge from the Why Not Brewery in Norwich. 4%. This is a craft ale produced in Norwich. It's made from some of the finest barley grown in North Norfolk. Right, I'm thirsty. Yeah, get pouring. Come on, Joe. Can I have a flake with mine? It's going to be, it's going to be difficult yeah. to uh, <laughs> to drink that through your mask. It's going to make it soggy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Pleasures of radio. Yes. <laughs> we might start selling dewing grain masks. I did think about that. Oh, you no, know, here we go. Big gob under here or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> no, there are a number of connotations. I think football clubs will do that. I think there'll be football club face masks. And it's the Why Not Brewery. Oh, I've got such a funny story about why not. I can't. Yeah, I can. I'm right, gonna cheers. A, I'm going to tell a story with that. Yeah, I'll get a try it. Yeah, hang on. Here it goes. That's all right. Yeah. Best thing about it is this happened last week. Actually, we had a taste last week and uh, we ended up clearing out all the beer that we had in stock because it was so nice sitting down with me, Webby. I think Josh came in and we just sat and drank beer. Obviously, we're a professional organisation. <laughs> it was so strange to not be sitting with your wife drinking wine. This is nice beer. Do you want my why not story? Yeah, I'd like to hear that. Okay, yeah. this is I went on a holiday when I was a lad. I went to Magaluf, Mallorca. And uh, didn't kiss any girls, obviously, or boys. And um, lips, anyway, there was a, there was one of the people with us. I, I won't say his name because it's cruel, but I used to play footy with him at St Andrews. And there was another mate who didn't really know him who also came, Slinky Footer. He came along. He was a bit of a cricketer and a bit of a footballer. Anyway, off we went. I was all of 18, 19. And uh, we, <laughs> we were in this, um, in this bar, the Green Dragon in Magaluf. And there was, we'd been out a few nights before. And, and the lad I was talking about was a very country lad. And he... Um, wasn't particularly good with women. He wasn't particularly good at like chatting to them. He's just like a really good-looking boy, but he wasn't very chatty. He's very, very. Thank you, thank you. Anyway, he decided at eleven o'clock to go home to bed, which is kind of not the done thing. We were left in this bar, and this little Scottish girl really had taken a shine to him. She thought he was the bee's knees as Adonis. Yeah, you know, where's he gone? She's gone back to bed. Oh, has he gone with? He hasn't gone with anybody, I said. Anyway, she ran on and I said, well, i tell you what, I'll show you. And this, that's dodgy in itself. So I, I walked this girl from the bar all the way back to this room that we were sharing and all down this very long corridor and I knocked on the door and the lad went, oh, who's that? I said, it's me. I've got a present for you. So he opens the door and there she is. And I just, I went, see you later. I turn around and walk away and I leave this girl who wants to see this lad. And I thought, you know, they obviously wanted to, you know, discuss where they're going to sunbathe him or whatever, they, whatever she wanted from him. And I started walking and thinking, and all I could hear her saying <laughs> was, why not? 
Why not? <laughs> Hence that. <laughs> Why? Perhaps it's him. Perhaps he's, he set the brewery up. I got it because he's from Norwich. By the time I got to the end of the corridor, I heard the door slam. I, I turned and looked round, and there she was stomping back down the hall, and he wouldn't let her in. And did you oblige Andrew? Or did I took you... her back to the bar. Yeah. Oh, just to the bar. Yeah. No. I, absolutely. Straight back, Ben. What at a all times. Yeah. I was for the rest of my days. I will never forget. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> anyway, is it a good beer? I like it. It's perfectly drinkable. Yeah, that'll do. I hope you uh, don't mind us ranting on about the agricultural bill today. I, I hope you have a lovely week doing whatever you do. So thanks very much for listening. Thank you. See you later. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewinggrain. The Dewing Grain Podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio.